you don't always have to go after the you know the hundred thousand dollar or a million dollar grant and 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 also too you have to consider if you have the capacity uh, to write a hundred thousand or a million dollar grant because again um, it, it takes a lot of work to be able to maintain uh, funding like that. You got three staff people and you're writing a million dollar grant. How much of that is salaries? And we talk a lot about that too, because you know funders frown when they see 80% of their grants going towards salaries. That, that, that's kind of a problem there. And so we talk a lot about that as well. But if we see a certain amount of money going towards programs and they can see the outcomes of that, and a small percentage of that is going administrative, then you know they're more willing or, or, or possibly will consider funding um, your program. Today I am talking with my friend and fellow grant professional Laverne Toombs. Laverne is such a wealth of information and one of the reasons I asked her on the show was because I am just blown away at how many different seats she has been in around the nonprofit table and she'll share more of her experience but she has been a grant writer she now is more of a strategist and vice president of development for the American Heart Association she has also worked for a foundation and been on the funder's side of the desk she's worked in government and I mean this woman is just incredibly brilliant and I know you will gain so much information from the conversation and like me Laverne has also done a TEDx talk which was a fantastic very inspiring talk that I encourage you to listen to it shares more about her personal story and just a really heartfelt story about her life and some things that she has learned and gone through and the refining process so I hope you enjoy this conversation. Laverne is just a wealth of information and a great resource. Laverne, welcome, my friend. It is so good to chat with you again. Tell us a random fact about yourself. Um, a random, random fact about myself is that I was an All-American basketball player in high school. Oh, impressive. Okay. Yeah. yeah do you still yeah. play very much? I don't play basketball anymore. Um, I stop, but I still run and walk and uh, cycle, you know, okay. cyclists. And so uh, I do that. Yeah. Okay. It's much better on your body. <laughs> Running up <laughs> yeah. and down a basketball court. <laughs> Not so much impact and movement. Right. That's right. Yes. yes. Yeah. But I'm still somewhat athletic, I guess. That doesn't surprise me just from having met you in person. Well, that's, it seems like that would be a lifestyle you would enjoy. That's awesome. Well, tell us a little mm -hmm. more about your background. Yeah. I'd love for you to share just kind of what brought you to this point. And I know you had quite an interesting journey with lots of ups and downs. So share <laughs> as much of it as you're comfortable. Sure, sure. Well, I actually started in a nonprofit sector by accident. Um, I started out as a volunteer for an organization, uh, which we call North Shore which is St. Tammany Parish, which is about 25 miles from New Orleans. And uh, there was a, they wrote a grant and uh, they needed someone, I guess, of color to um, manage this particular component of this grant. And so it was only three of us in this organization. I had no grant writing or fundraising experience. So I was thrown into an organization where I was forced to learn how to raise my own money in regards to salaries and all the other things that comes along with running a nonprofit organization. I'm forever indebted to the 
person who really taught me and, and took me under her wings to really learn about grant writing and fundraising. But I had no idea that this would be something that I would actually do for you know, a number of years. So I served in that capacity as an executive director of that organization for about three or four years. Um, and then down the road uh, further, I began to uh, really get involved in the nonprofit work by volunteering. And that is raising money as well as writing grants. Then I was fortunate enough to work for an organization that was connected to a foundation. So now I'm no longer a grant writer, but now I'm reviewing grants as, as well as a funder. So it really allowed me an opportunity to understand that, the components of writing a grant, but also understanding the components of what funders are looking for in grants. So I did that for about two and a half years. Uh, from that, I uh, changed my kind of pivot, if you will, and that is I went to work for a United States Senator. I um, was uh, worked on her campaign for almost um, a year. And then she hired me as her deputy regional manager here in New Orleans, where I oversaw 13 parishes within the region. Uh, that I got a promotion as her regional manager and I wound up actually working for her for almost 14 years. Uh, she lost her election in a primary in 2014, kind of get an idea of what, you know, what are my next steps, what am I gonna do? Um, and then uh, the parish president, which basically in, in some other people's world would be a mayor um, who oversaw an entire parish, which in you all's world would be a county, asked me to come work for her. I did. I actually wound up being her chief administrative officer, which was the second person in charge of a parish, which also allowed me an opportunity to look at RFPs and RAQs and other people's grants and proposals and so on and so forth. So I got an opportunity to learn that component as well in a government. Uh, sector or government type of uh, platform. Um, and then I did that for five years. Uh, her term ended. Um, and then from there, I decided that I was going to be semi-retired, would not work in politics anymore. And um, Southern University at New Orleans hired me as one of their consultants to help them with their accreditation, which allowed me an opportunity to write grants and do a lot of other things within that particular institution, which is one of our HBCUs here in New Orleans. Once they received their accreditation, I was there for a year. Um, I was doing some consulting work and um, started doing some work for the New Orleans Regional Flight Chamber of Commerce, where I became later on their executive director. I wrote a number of grants, raised a number of dollars, raised almost $500,000 in less than a year, which was probably most monies that have ever been raised within that organization, helped with the structure of the nonprofit, worked closely with our board, and really all the skills and tools that I had been so graciously given in the early years of my career, I was able to use that to run this organization. Um, but at that point in my life, you know, at 60 at the time, I decided that I didn't want to work 12, 14 hour days anymore, that I wanted to go back to the semi-retirement type of environment where I had a control of my life and have more work-life balance. Um, then the American Heart Association came along and uh, applied for that position and then uh, became their vice president of development for the American Heart Association here in the New Orleans region, where I'm responsible for, of course, raising money as a fundraiser. So um, I'm still very much involved with a number of nonprofit groups in the region, uh, primarily serve as a director of a, or chair of uh, fundraising or fund development, um, I chair certain major events here in the city of New Orleans. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. <laughs> I'm a mother of four. I have six beautiful grandchildren and, uh, you know, just very much civic engaged.
Wow. (laughs) That's an incredible lineup of background and history and so many different pieces I want to pull out (laughs) and look at each one. That's amazing. And what an incredible way. um... Yeah. What an incredible way to serve in so many different capacities. I see a common thread of service for you in your career and in all those different experiences, it seems like you have such a heart to serve. Oh yeah, I definitely have a a servant heart and a servant pure heart at it. I'm very passionate uh, because in my former life, before I got into this fundraising or in a nonprofit sector, uh, a number of the things that I'm involved in is things that impacted my, my personal life. And so I don't want to see people hurting. I don't like, you know, I don't want to see people hungry homeless. Um, you know, I just don't want to see people suffer. And so the organizations that I've been so fortunate to be a part of to raise money for those particular causes like Dress for Success and Kingsley House that primarily work in early childhood education as well as working with our seniors and a number of other organizations that I've been involved in um, is really my own personal mission. And, um, you know, I had the opportunity when I worked with Senator Landrieu to really um, serve in a number of capacities with nonprofit organizations because she was a senator. She was able to, um, you know, allocate federal dollars to particular initiatives that are organizations that are existing now because of those dollars that were allocated, like Cafe Reconcile, for instance, which is an organization that work with um, at-risk youth and teach them in the world of hospitality. And because of those original dollars, that organization still exists today and having a major impact on a number of young people who are interested in going into the world of hospitality. What a beautiful legacy. And I know for me, that's one thing I really find fulfilling about grant writing is that I can look back years later and see the impact still going strong and things still in place that I help be a part of. And it sounds like yours are (laughs) incredibly fulfilling and even much more so in the work you've done. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the things that um, that I wanted to do, and I think you and I talked about this, is that I decided not to be a write grants anymore. Um, I'm more of an editor, but I also taught grant writing as an adjunct at a community college here uh, in New Orleans because I really want people to understand the art of writing grants. You know, everybody's not, um, um, I guess, if you will, and I guess as a grant writer, because it is, it takes a lot of technical writing. It does require a lot of patience um, and research and really being knowledgeable of that particular subject matter. And so now, you know, that is my focus is to do grant writing workshops, teach grant writing on a higher uh, ed, uh, level and actually going in and uh, working with organizations on not only just the grant writing, but preparing them for to apply for grants. And uh, and that sometimes can be somewhat of a task in itself, but that's one of the, what I'm doing as of right now. Mm-hmm. And that is so needed. And that's why I have shifted some of my focus to those same areas, because without that preparation and getting those key pieces in place first, the grants are not going to be as successful. And that's what I've found through years of trial and error and seeing what works. And I'm sure yours is the same way. It's you really need to back up a couple steps and figure out those strategies and some of the foundational pieces with the nonprofit that are going to help them be more ready and prepared and position them more competitively for grants. And then they can start looking for those. 
and you've worked with such a variety and, you know, from foundations to federal and everything in between, which is valuable experience. One thing I want to point out that you said too, is that you did not come into this with a training or background in nonprofit or in grant writing. And so many people come to me saying, you know, who am I to write a grant? I don't have any skills. I don't have experience with grant writing. How do I get started? But I'd like to point this out because so many of us did not start with that. And like you, you were able to build your career even without that original training or taking classes in it. You just dove right in and you learned as you went and figured some things out and kept going with it and your your career just blossomed from there. But a lot of us, we don't step into the sector as experts. And so I want to point that out because I know a lot of listeners are in that same boat. They're coming in, they don't know where to start. They feel like they don't have experience, but they probably have skills that do relate. And so that's where I think it's helpful to hear your story and help them connect the dots and realize, okay, maybe I could do this too. Right. You know, I even, I don't, when I started, I don't even believe that I had the best writing skills either. Um, And so it was practice and practice. And I had great mentors too, that really helped me and critiqued me and critiqued my work. Um, And so, you know, even though I I wrote a a publication uh, that actually went out to the United States Senate in all 50 offices. um, And I was very fortunate to be able to help uh, the senators in their perspective uh, states to actually forward, send that publication out to their constituency in regards to what funding that may be out there. And Senator Landrieu um, actually came up with this great idea to send this out to her constituency here in the state of Louisiana, and I played a major part in that. Um, but again, you know, you're absolutely right. You don't have to have a particular skill set. I was thrown in a situation knowing that I had to raise money for this organization to survive, um, as well as, you know, have a salary because I didn't, if I didn't get the money, you wasn't going to get paid. Um, and so I, I, it was, it was a journey and it's, and, and, you know, it's always room and improvement even to this day. Um, but again, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to say that I had, made a contribution to the United States Senate, that I had a, made a contribution in putting together a publication in regards to Grant Writing 101, um, and that people use that document to help them in their grant writing, and that is a template of some sort, or frequent questions asked, uh, those type of things like that. But no, you know, and I actually started a consulting firm called Write For You, which was part-time, and anything that needed to be written, if it was a proposal, if it was a grant, if it, whatever it was, uh, a letter, a recommendation, a resume, uh, I would write it. But again, uh, as I stated earlier, I don't, I did not have the strongest uh, writing skills. Um, it, it came over years of practice and, and observing other people's writings as well. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. And I know my writing's improved a lot over the years when I look back at a few years ago, even. Oh, and yeah. it's just mine too. <laughs> yeah. God. I mean, some of it I cringe. You probably do too. And yeah, <laughs> we're our own worst critics. I was like, oh, God, did I do that? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, I, I was. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I actually was fortunate enough to um, write a lot of the correspondence out of the senator's office. So 
you know, of course, her signature was on those letters. So we had to make sure that the grammar was correct. And oh. uh, that helped me over the years. But still, when I even look at those letters, I still take, I see errors. And it was like, oh, my God. But yeah. Uh, yeah. The, and that's uh, where, yeah, we need to work with excellence, but also have to give ourselves a little grace and room to grow. And knowing that that's part of the process, we have to keep improving. Because even now, I feel like, I still have a lot to learn about grants and I've done it for almost 20 years, but there's always more we can be learning and growing because things are changing and there's more to learn as it changes, as new programs and concepts come out. We can always be growing. It's not like we ever arrive and get to the end point. It's a journey and a process of continuous improvement and always working on ourselves to make it absolutely it is a continuing journey and uh absolutely i I absolutely agree with you it is a journey it's ever learning ever evolving you just got to figure out how you pivot and the thing of it is too is that you know we're uh being able to identify your strengths as well as your weaknesses and um and and work on that and be the best that you can possibly be at that time but be in a position to be willing to learn that's, that's yes. the most important component. That is huge. And that's one of the things I look for when I'm looking mm-hmm. and working with grant writers or nonprofits. Are they teachable? Are they willing to learn and willing to put in the work? And it sounds like for you also that I know for me, it's taken a lot of tenacity to just stick with it and roll with the punches. You're not going to win every grant. And yeah, that's such a bummer, but you get up and dust off and keep going and keep learning and improving each time. You can't let it get you down or feel like, okay, I should just quit. I'm no good. You have to just keep going and stick with it to get to that point of improvement and being able to make the impact. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I, I'm not good at no when I don't, you know, or decline. I always want to know, you know, what happened, what I could have done better, those type of things like that. Um, and so when I really was a grant writer, you know, I established a relationship with the program uh, director of that particular foundation or corporation or whatever the case may be. And those are the type of things that I teach in my grant writing courses, that there's a lot of pre-prep that you have to do before you go into writing a grant. And that is establishing a relationship, being familiar with the foundation of corporation, understanding, you know, what their criteria are, if it's a need, is it meet, meet your mission, those things like that. Um, because I've seen people just write grants to write grants because they see that there's money available, but it's not a part of their mission. And then they kind of pivot or re, re, reorganize or reshape their organization to fit uh, that particular funding source. But in all honesty, it's not really what they do. So, um, so I, I talk a lot about that. I'm so glad you brought that up. And actually that's a big piece of what was in my TEDx talk was about that of, we really need to build the relationships and do the background work to figure out if it's a good fit first. And rather than twisting our mission all out of shape, just to try and chase money because funders will see through that and it's not authentic. It's not the kind of relationship we want to build or the kind of character we want to convey as our organization. And Mm -hmm. so we need to represent well by building that more sincere relationship approach. Absolutely. And one of the other things that I spend a lot of time with my students is the uh, organizational structure. Um, You know, people go and they 
think that they can get free money. Uh, but one of the key things I ask about is their board. Do they understand their mission? They have a vision, all the documentation. In other words, the business of the organization is that in order because that's what funders are going to look at. And uh, nine times out of 10, I would have to say that a majority of the organizations that I have worked with, their organizational structure was not sound uh, or their boards weren't didn't understand, you know, the difference between restricted and unrestricted or understanding the fact that you got to have a cash flow, just like if you are a for-profit business, that you need to have cash. You just can't rely on grants and keeping your organization afloat. Um, and so that was quite a challenge. And it still is a challenge uh, for organizations to understand that there's no such thing as free money. Um, and, I, and the hard part of it is, as I tell my students, is that the, the easy part is getting the funding. The hard part is keeping it and making sure that you do what you say you're going to do. The reporting component of it is, which is another learning curve, right? right. So, um, so again, I try to really start from the start of the organization with their mission and see if they're clear and they understand that. Look at all the components of the business side of the organization to see if they're ready to start writing grants. And then also ask them about, do you have a financial budget? Do you have a budget? Do you have a financial plan in regards to how many grants you're going to write a year? How many fundraisers you're going to do? What is the uh, your budget, your proposed budget? How much it's going to cost you to run that organization? And, you know, interesting enough, I, I may start off with like 30 students in my class and probably end up with maybe 12 or 15 who basically say, you know, what, I really want to do this. And then the others be like, you know what, this is just too much work. Really? <laughs> I say, well, you know, you want it to be. You know, you want to be a grant writer? You know, this is it. You go in there and you ask all these tough questions because the last thing you want to do is set an organization set an organization up for failure. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, that's so true. People don't understand all the ins and outs that go into doing it well. And it sounds like our processes are very similar in how we go through and take inventory and look from the very beginning and those basic pieces and then help make sure all of that is in place before they start mm -hmm. applying for grants. And it really is worth that little bit of time spent up front. I mean, I've found compared to nonprofits where they just wanted to start right in and after learning better. And then I said, no, no, we need to make sure and go through some of this and make sure things are in order. And in that case, it's so much more successful and so much more sustainable in their operations. Their organization is healthier. They thrive so much more quickly where the others end up floundering if they don't dig in and look at those key pieces first. Absolutely. Well, it is, really is about sustainability and being able to understand your organization. And of course, the board of directors is their responsibility because they're handling the fiduciary responsibilities and they're governing. And the thing of it is, is that you don't want a board who's approving for their ED or whomever to write these grants and not understanding that, you know, of course, you may receive the money, but it's also their responsibility in regards to the fiduciary. Uh, matters that everything is handled accordingly. And so I work closely with boards um, to help them understand their role and responsibilities um, and work closely with the executive director to know how to communicate to their board about this particular grant that we're going to write. This is what it's going to do. This is the responsibility that you as a board will have in regards to the funding component of it. 
Um, because, you know, sometimes organizations try to bite off more than they can chew. They don't have the capacity uh, to be able to take on another program um, right. because there's always more program dollars than there are, you know, basically um, the day-to-day operations. So, or and even in regards to brick and mortar. So, you know, I tried to help them understand that, you, you know, you need to really focus on one program instead of trying to have 10 or 12 because you don't have the capacity. And that right. sometimes is very difficult for our organizations to understand. That's so true. And it is a lot of it comes down to educating and educating board members because so many just don't understand the workings of a mm-hmm. nonprofit. They don't understand how grants work and how the operations and cash flow needs to happen with that and the tracking. And like you said, the reporting, the big piece of following up to implement. And so a lot of it does come down to education. And to me, again, (laughs) very similar process because I feel like it goes hand in hand. It needs to be a whole team Mm -hmm. support effort. It can't be just one person, okay, I'm in charge of grants and that's that. It really needs to be everyone on board understanding how it works and understanding their role. So I'm glad Mm -hmm. to know that you're also out there educating in a very similar way of a more holistic view in the process that incorporates the full scope of what needs to happen. Yeah, well, you have to take the holistic approach because, again, you know, I've seen organizations that hire grant writers and they just write grants and charge them an arm and a leg. And that's pretty much it, knowing that that organization is not structurally sound to even begin to apply for a grant. And so for me, because of the fact that I've been in this in this nonprofit world for a long time and worked with a number of organizations to the to the very small, to the ones that just started, to the ones that's been around for almost 100 years, Um just making sure that we're setting them up for success and not failure. And I, you know, again, I'm, I'm sure you're the same way is that we're going to protect our brand. And the way that we do that is that we go through the process, take that holistic approach, making sure that they're structurally or organizationally sound and that they are ready uh, to begin that process of writing grants. I just want to applaud. Yay. Preach it. That's so true. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, yes. exactly right. And, you know, that is so, I think part of it just comes down to continuing to have conversations like this and continuing to help educate people and help them understand because people mean well, they love the cause, they love the mission. They just so often don't understand what it takes and what all needs to go into it to do it well. Mm -hmm. And if we can Mm -hmm. make some of those few key shifts in the sector, I feel like that could really transform so many nonprofits and the Mm -hmm. way they operate and are able to fulfill their missions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's, you know, again, um, I think it's our responsibility as professionals in this line of work is that we we want them to succeed and and not only that but if they they went you know awarded a grant and they see the outcomes from that then not only will they possibly hire us again but then they will be our you know human billboard or our sound, sounding board or recommending us to someone else uh, because they see that we're real very passionate about what we do and the fact that we actually want them to succeed 
Right. I feel like I'm cheering my clients on and wanting them to do well. And of course, it's because I love their missions too. And I work Mm -hmm. with clients that I feel really strongly about those missions. It's just, I Mm -hmm. cannot divide myself to work in the front lines of all the different nonprofits and causes, but I feel like if I can support them and give them the knowledge and tools to do it better, then that's going to have a much bigger impact for them and longer term too. Absolutely. I mean, nonprofits again are struggling um, just receiving funding um, to be able to, to, to operate. I think it was in, in my frame of thinking is that if I can come in and teach someone within your organization to do it, then it's a cost savings. Now, of course, you know, I, I know people will say, well, Laverne, you know, you don't, you don't want to write grants and, and make all this money or whatever the case may be. And, you know, at a point in your life, for me at least, um, I'm not really interested in writing uh, five or six grants a week. <laughs> <laughs> and I've done that, but I would rather just teach them. And then if they want to hire me to come in and help them edit the grant, package the grant, help them with the reporting process, if they need me to come and talk to their board, those type of things like that, then yeah, that's great. But as I said it from the very beginning, I really stopped that some time ago and been very successful in working with uh, my students as well as working with organizations where they have identified someone within the organization that is willing to write a grant, put together an awesome grant writing team. And so they can actually become like a machine where they can Right, crank out five or six grants uh, a week or a month or whatever the case may be, whatever their plan that they have outlined that they're going to do per year mm -hmm. or per quarter or per year. Right. And that is no small feat (laughs) to do that and to crank those out. Do you have a favorite grant or type of project that you have worked on over the years? Yes, actually, um, there was an organ- uh, organization um, that uh, works with the National Institute of Health that I was able to, um, when I started with the, the chamber, um, I was able to convince them to allow us to write the grant because there was a transition between the previous executive director and myself. Wrote the grant and uh, it was only for, I think, um, six months. And it was a small grant, but we spent a lot of time making sure that we did what we said we were going to do um, and make sure the reporting process. And for me, as a professional grant writer and fundraiser, I wanted to make sure that I over did what I said. Right. So I added a few other things to it. They came to us. We were actually the model organization and we actually got a shout out from this national group that, you know, that we did what we said we were going to do. We, you know, we exceeded their expectations and we were able to apply again. And instead of it being a six month grant, it actually turned out to be for 12, 12 months over, I think, three year period and receive more money. And uh, and that was a success for me because mm-hmm. the fact that I started out with a small amount, less time, did what we were supposed to do. And then they came back to us as a model organization and uh, and funded us for uh, another year and extended for another two years. Oh, and then wow. I did um, I did a navigator, did a SBA navigator navigator grant, um, and that grant I think was like a hundred and some thousand dollars for three years. 
Um, and so I was very happy about the fact when I in, left the organization, knowing that they were going to receive those funds mm -hmm. for the next uh, three years that was going to help a number of small minority owned businesses. So um, really uh, grateful to lead that legacy type of uh, project there with them in my absence as I exit. Yeah. What a win and how fulfilling to do that and to see, know that you're doing something more long-term and sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that speaks to what we were saying earlier about building the relationships over time and doing your work well with high quality, showing them you're serious about this, that you're stewarding the funds well, you're taking it seriously, and that you do have the capacity to manage the program and to manage the funds well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm very, as a matter of fact, somebody mentioned that program to me this morning and uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm very proud of that program and I'm proud of the fact that it's having a major impact on a number of minority owned businesses for them to expand and grow as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. And that's something, I mean, you're seeing that ripple effect throughout mm -hmm. the community because mm -hmm. of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and I guess the other one uh, is Cafe Reconcile. I wrote their first grant. Uh, in 1990, I think it was 94, 95. Um, it wasn't a whole lot of money, but again, here was an organization in a community which actually became like the pillar of that community and uh, and see that it's still in existence 20 something years later. Mm -hmm. It's just mind boggling to know that I was there from the very beginning when it had a, a lock on, a, on the door and nothing was happening. And, you know, this, this friend of mine said, hey, will you write this grant? And I said, sure. They got the funding to be able to start on a smaller scale. And now, you know, they're, they're just doing great. They've had three or four sitting presidents that have visited the restaurant. Some of the most top dignitaries and influencers across the country that have visited the restaurant and also have been a model for other uh, organizations across the country to consider doing something like this, not only just in the hospitality industry, because New Orleans, as you know, is centered around hospitality but in other, whatever their particular markets may be to be able to provide those type of trainings for young people to give them hope and opportunity. And a number of them have taken advantage of going on to be chefs, um, going on to be, you know, just doing a great work uh, in the hospitality industry. Ah, oh, what a beautiful way to also pour into the next generation in that way too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned that was around 94, 95. So mm -hmm. you didn't, I just want to point that out. You wouldn't have had Google. You may not have even done it on a computer. I don't know if you would have typed it or handwritten it, but just comparing the technology you had then and now and what grant applications and the process was like at that time and mm -hmm. how much it's yeah, things. That's right. Things have changed. And I want to say that it was handwritten, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine yeah. having to write a grant on a typewriter and yeah, all the mistakes. Think... And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The whiteout, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I still remember the smell of whiteout. <laughs> oh, I think it was handwritten. But however, they got the funding. So that's all. Yeah. <laughs> that's what matters. Right. Yeah. So that's all that matters. They got the funding. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I want to point out too that a couple of your favorites you mentioned, you said they were pretty small grants, but yet they made an impact and they left this legacy of investing in others. 
And so I want people to understand that, like, we don't have to start out with huge grants or we don't have to always write the biggest grants ever. We can also start small and make small impacts that are compounding and it leaves a bigger and bigger impact each time. And sometimes just those small injections of funding help get that nonprofit's momentum going again. And it sounds like with your cafe that you mentioned, maybe it wasn't a huge grant, but that was what they needed to get started and to really get things moving. And now they're thriving, but they just needed that push to get the ball rolling. Well, you know, at the end of the day, when funders give uh, dollars, they want to see the return, right? And in regards to Cafe Reconcile, they were able to see that with that organization. Um, and again, you're absolutely right. Um, when we do our measure outcomes and being able to show what $25,000 can have such a major impact on maybe 100 people, and they can actually see the return on that, uh, they don't have a problem giving you funding when that funding um, round comes along. Um so, yeah, you know, you don't always have to go after the, you know, the $100,000 or a million dollar grant. And, and, and also, too, you have to consider if you have the capacity uh, to write a $100,000 or a million dollar grant. Because, again, um, it, it takes a lot of work to be able to maintain uh, funding like that. So yes. I always tell people, whatever, you just make sure that you have the capacity to be able to do exactly what you said you're going to do. So if you got three staff people and you're writing a million dollar grant, how much of that is salaries? And we talk a lot about that, too, because, you know, funders frown when they see 80 percent of their grants going towards salaries. That, that that's kind of a problem there. And so we talked a lot about that as well. But if we see a certain amount of money going towards programs and they can see the outcomes of that and a small percentage of that is going administrative, then, you know, they're more willing or, or, or possibly will consider funding. Um, your program or whatever right. initiative that you have. Exactly. Yes. And keeping that balance is important and taking that into account. And even mm -hmm. when I started working with a nonprofit last year, she had said to me up front, like, we're new to grants. We've been operating for a while, but this is really our first experience with grants very much. And so if we got a million dollars in a grant, I don't think we could handle it. We're just not ready. And so that mm -hmm. was super helpful that first of all, she recognized that, but it also gave me that context too, that, okay, that is good to know. We need to start back here with this size grants. We need to learn the process and mm -hmm. keep it manageable. And then they can grow into some larger ones if that's the right path for them. But some nonprofits will always stay in that mm -hmm. smaller grant space. And that's okay too. It just depends on the mission and the scope of work that they're doing. Absolutely. Well, you just have to be honest, honest with yourself and not try to bite off more than you can chew. And not only that, you know, again, as I stated earlier regarding programs, really become good at that one particular program. And once you have become an expert, you have produced, people can see the outcomes of those programs, then you're probably ready for the next component of that. But, you know, just take small steps see the success, being able to sell your success by utilizing whatever that success is and marketing it. Because that's the other thing that nonprofits don't have a marketing budget and you have to be kind of creative in regards to how you sell what you're doing. You know, you're not the Salvation Armies or the Volunteers of America or American Heart Association type. But at the end of the day, you know, funders for them to be able to pique interest in to what you do, you do have to be creative. And I know when I was chair, 
address the success, which is uh, headquartered in New Orleans, but it has, I mean, in New York, but it has a number of affiliates across the country. Uh, we had to be creative in how we got funders to be interested. So we would have teas every quarter. And again, we don't have any money, but, you know, in the mornings is the cheapest time to have some sort of event. So we would have tea and some pastries. And of course, we established a relationship with a baker to provide us with those pastries every um, every quarter. And then we would have a client that would come in and talk about the impact address of success, which was suit women who were uh, going on a job interview. So we would give them a suit and all the accessories and then teach them with their soft skills and prepare them for interviews. So, you know, if you had a lady that lived under the bridge, which we actually did have someone who actually was homeless, uh, came in, we suited her up. She was able to get a job from that. She became a homeowner from that. She was able to, you know, secure a job, get a promotion. Those are the type of things that funders like, okay, well, you know what? I'm willing to um, fund you because they heard from the client themselves, saw the outcome and see the long-term outcome as well. And then we can go back to that funder and ask them for additional dollars because they actually heard it, they touched it, they saw it, and they're like, you know what, this is exactly what we want to do. So, right. and that was very successful. Such stellar advice <laughs> around all of that, you know, and getting creative sometimes is what it takes when you don't have a large budget or a large organization. A few years ago, when I was on a board of a pretty new nonprofit, they had tried a gala, which of course they had plenty of donations, but also was kind of expensive to provide the meal and all the parts that go with it. And so the next year they switched it to a dessert buffet and had table hosts and each table host brought a dessert to share. And so that way it, it cut down the expenses significantly. The giving even went up. No one minded that there wasn't a meal. They were coming to support the cause and to learn and see about the updates and invite their friends and just have a nice outing. So it didn't hurt their their reach whatsoever. It kept it going, but it made it much more manageable for them being on a tight budget. And so that was one way that they shifted and experimented and found a different way to save, but yet still stay in touch with donors and provide that information. And you started that last piece with something I wanted to come back to because you said, we have to be honest with ourselves about where we are. And that's so true. And sometimes that's one of the hardest things to do because it's so often not intentional because we truly want things to be good and in place and running smoothly. And so I think sometimes we almost trick ourselves into thinking it is when really we do need to come step back, like you're saying, and say, okay, how much can we truly handle what are we capable of and where do we need to step back and grow and maybe not take on too much. And that can be tough sometimes. And we often need an outside perspective, someone else to come in and say, okay, look, you're trying to do much, too much in this area, or let's scale back over here and just focus on this one thing. And that's so hard because I know I want all the things done, but yet you're absolutely right. We do need to focus in and that's where we can really make significant progress. And our team can understand what to support in their role and where to focus as well when we're narrowed down mm -hmm. like that. Absolutely. You know, um, 
When it comes to fundraising um, and putting on events, um, like for instance, I'll use Dress for Success as an example again, and that is they have an annual event called Soup and Salad. Well, they just serve salads and maybe a small dessert, and that's it. But they had um, they had one here recently, and they had about three to four hundred women that participated, and they have a fashion show, and so it's a low budget um, event, but you have hundreds of women that support it, and um, and it's allow us an opportunity to see the clients and they share their testimonies. Um, another organization that I chaired um, was Friendraiser and it's in um, Kingsley House, which is now called Clover. They changed their name here recently. But this organization had what they call Friendraiser. So you invite all your friends, you're a table captain, you have 10 people at your table and you're not asking for any money. You just come, you learn about the organization and they have the kids that come up and perform. They have the seniors that come and then they have a, a speaker. And sometimes it's the actual client or whomever is there. Well, they touch your purse string, right? I mean, all of us at a point to start crying because it's such an impactful one hour. Mm-hmm. And so we have envelopes at the table. And again, we're not putting any pressure. If you want to give a dollar, $10 and, um, and you know, that, that friend raiser now is raising hundreds and thousands of dollars um, from a creative idea of just people coming and hearing. And then you, your table captain said, well, would you be willing to make a donation? And you're not, you know, it's no, no particular amount. Mm-hmm. And it has grown tremendously over the years. And, um, and it's still very, very successful. So, you know, again, it's all about creativity. It's not always about asking. It could be just about inviting somebody to just to learn about your organization. And I encourage it, especially when it comes to grant writing, you know, get to know who those program managers are, establish a relationship with them, invite them to some things that you may be having so that they, when they see your grant across the table or across their desk, they are already familiar with you and they may take it under consideration. Right. And, you know, that also takes some of the pressure off of feeling like, we have to sell, 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 or push, or always ask for money. Part of what we're doing is just making friends and letting people mm-hmm. come in and see what we're all about and absolutely not pressuring. And so to me, that takes a lot of the pressure off. Like, let's just meet the people that care about this cause and let's pull back the curtain and let them see the impact that it makes and mm-hmm. in a low-key, casual, friendly way that builds relationships first instead of just being transactional. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge key. Right, right. And Absolutely. That, that's more sustainable too. It is. It's very sustainable. Absolutely. Well, I feel like I could talk to you all day about grants <laughs> and it's been so good to talk shop with someone who has been in the trenches and you've been in so many capacities from we haven't even really touched on the foundation side and your role as funder. But before we wrap up, has there been a resource in particular that has been meaningful to you over the years? A resource? Um, I'm not clear on your question. What do you you mean? Any kind of resource, whether it's a book, a person, a anything else, some kind of tool. Anything that you found especially helpful in your journey? 
Well, thank you for asking that question. So there's this organization called, and I'm sure they have them across the country, but this one was the Louisiana Association of Nonprofit Organizations, which provides all sorts of meaningful resources. And it uh, has always been a great resource for me. And I rely a lot on that organization. And I encourage other nonprofits to become a member of the organization because they provide such great resources. So I have used, utilized them over the years. But believe it or not, one of my greatest resources that I used to read a whole lot is the Federal Registry. Uh, I spent a lot of time reading the Federal Registry, even though it's boring reading, um, but it's very informative. And again, as a grant writer, I think it's extremely important when people ask you about what funding sources out there, you know, they may be applying for community development block grant money uh, through a municipality or uh, come out with a supernova, something of that sort. Um, and I know I'm using a lot of these acronyms, but at the end of the day, um, I've spent a lot of time using an agency that focuses on nonprofits, as well as a document that has helped me tremendously uh, being able to articulate to an organization that is curious about seeking federal dollars and becoming familiar with all those federal departments and uh, you know what their criteria and who is the point of contact and those sorts of things. So yeah, I would say that those are the two main um, sources, resources that I've used over the years that have been extremely helpful to me. Mm. That's an interesting contrast because that speaks to what we were talking about earlier, where grant writing is both an art and a science. And so you do need both types of resources. You need the document, the guidelines, <clears throat> the stick to these specific things. You also need the community of support and the people and the ones who can mentor you and say, here's what you need to do to help solve this problem, or here are some places that can support you because it really does take mm -hmm. that whole community collaboration of support to make it successful. Absolutely, it does. And I have to admit, again, um, to any nonprofit that's going to be tuning in or listening to this, I would highly recommend that you seek an organization that provide resources to nonprofit organizations. In some cases, uh, with um, LANO, which is the Louisiana Organization of Nonprofits, is the fact that they put together a binder of all of the foundations um, in the state of Louisiana, every mm -hmm. foundation that existed. And um, it was such a great resource. And it was, a, you know, a small investment, but it, even with that investment, you'll pay it a pay for itself, actually. Oh, yeah. And, um, and so that was that was really wonderful. And then they had their uh, annual conference every year where you have an opportunity to meet other peers, which will allow you an opportunity to ask questions. Um, you know, because sometimes we're in the trenches and we think that this is only happening to us. <laughs> and we find out that it's not just us, that there's others that are being faced with it as well. Right. And so that's that's comforting. Right. But the <laughs> right. other thing of it is, is that we find out how they were able to move it forward or, you know, find out what case study that they may have done. If they put together focus groups or whatever the case may be, uh, it's always good to interact with your peers. And I realize in the nonprofit sector, we don't have that much money to be able to do those type of things. But again, it always comes back to that creativity and trying to figure out how I can grow in this industry because nonprofits are always going to be around. They're not going to go anywhere anytime soon. They may be struggling, but then on the other hand, but those that are more aggressive and really are creative in the way that they raise money and staying afloat um, will always be around. 
Right. Yes. And that is so important to remember because they are such a huge part of our sector. And so having that network is tremendous and that's a huge resource. And now we also have more virtual resources or podcasts or online learning that we didn't before. So it becomes more accessible and affordable than maybe some of the expensive conferences or events if you're on a lower budget in your organization, there are, like you said, a lot of creative things that you can look for and then be able to work your way into some of those other things. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. And and again, we even talk about the for-profit component of, a you know, the submitting an RFP and RFQ, which I've done that as well um, when I was in, in uh, working for a municipality. So again, you know, there's a lot when it comes down to funding sources, uh, grants, proposals, um, fundraising, um, just it's a lot out here. And, uh, and, and so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's unlimited, right? So uh, maybe next time we can, we can talk about that too. Yeah. Come up with some, to help them come up with some fundraising ideas that would help them, you know, uh, raise some money because you got to have the cash flowing in the organization. That's right. If you don't have no cash flowing in the organization, then it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're kind of sunk. You know, I was about to say, I can feel a follow-up episode coming on here. <laughs> We're going to have to do this again. Because <laughs> we've got a lot more ground to cover. Forward to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been amazing to have you on. And thank you for sharing your wisdom with our audience. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, did you learn a thing or two? <laughs> this is one that I could say, I told ya. <laughs> yep, Laverne is a fantastic, brilliant grant writer with so much knowledge and so much wisdom from her years of experience and the different types of experience and just life lessons that you can't get out of a textbook. And so I hope you've enjoyed this and had some great takeaways. I'd love to hear from you what those takeaways are. So feel free to message me, connect on LinkedIn or on my website, and let's keep the conversation moving because I want to help you have the strategies and tools you need to be able to go out in the world with confidence as a grant writer to make a difference and to help nonprofits with their missions. That's why we're doing this, right? Because we want to make that big impact and help nonprofits be more effective and really make a difference in the lives that they are serving. So if you are working with a nonprofit or have colleagues in the space, please go watch my TEDx talk, The Real ROI of Grant Writing. You can find it on YouTube and share it with a friend. People need to hear the message. They need to hear the framework of how we can all better support nonprofits in building their ROI so that we can make a difference. All right, friends, have a great week and go change your world. Thank you.